best practices, and that is with um, several of our um, colleagues throughout the county, um, mainly from mental health, substance abuse, and developmental um, services, as well as family services, talking about confidentiality best practices. We have exploring Loudoun County data, so we will be bringing in folks who deal with our data and data dashboards on a regular basis um, to show you where the publicly available data are, including mapping, as well as um, illustrations of census data. And then the last um, kind of big push is bringing your own data, and this will be an in-person in workshop. Um, where we will be working with you on your own data. So how can you craft it? How can you um, utilize some of the statistics that we'll just very briefly go over today um, to help bring your data to life and tell your story um, in, in the way that would most benefit you in in grant making and in grant applications. And then finally, the data management plan, which is often required for many federal grants, uh, we'll be talking about that um, as the, the final product of this series. So if you haven't signed up for um, any others than the Data 101, please feel free. I think registration will be open, if not is already open um, for all. So is that correct, Tracy, that they're open? Yes. All registrations? Okay. All right. So with that, we'll go to the next slide and just do a quick welcome. And thank you all for being here and attending. Um, please, if you haven't done so already, put your name and organization in the chat and and we will and we will um, use these uh, this information to help distribute further um, application and narrative and training information as we move forward. Next slide. I do want to give Tracy the opportunity to talk about a polling app. This is going to help us um, collect data. Uh, you know, since we're talking about data, we may as well collect our own data. Um, and this will actually help us to better understand how you want to use this time to the best of our ability. And so Tracy, do you want to talk a little bit about the Menti app? Sure. Um, we'll be using an app called Mentimeter and we have a couple of questions for you already. So the instructions are on the screen. And if you go to the menti.com and type in um, that code, um, or scan the QR code, um, or um, I, I think there should be a link in the chat. Oh, someone already voted. That's great. Uh, we just wanted to know if you signed up for more than one training in the series. And I just put the link in the chat. Great, and if you want to sign up for more, <laughs> the uh, registration link was just shared. And I can put it in the chat again. Right. 
So we'll give it about 30 seconds. And let folks finish, because I know we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 61 registrants, but I'm not sure how many folks are online. 30, it looks like. So we still have some more to go. This is an anonymous survey. So this is an anonymous poll. We don't know who's saying what. Um, so please go ahead and, and be honest. All right. And we did make considerations for large and small nonprofits, especially um, throughout the whole series and especially in the, the panel discussion on April 20th. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's go ahead and close this out. And it looks like we do have um, folks who've signed up for more than one training. That's great. Um, so I would be interested to know which other trainings you signed up for. Because ultimately, we want to make this a cumulative process and really build on what you learn today for future trainings. So please unmute your line. Oh, sorry. Tracy, do you have another one? <laughs> yeah, there were a few questions. Okay, um, keep going. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> and then uh, if you are at the same link and refresh, um, you should be able to um, uh, vote which training you're most looking forward to. So that's interesting. I'm liking the results. This is fun. No one wants the uh, bring your own data workshop. It must be only us data geeks who really care about that. <laughs> I am a self-professed data geek. Um, so I'm very excited about it and look forward to, to what's in sixth right now. There's Should we no go pressure with bringing your own data? We'll That's be right. Helping and workshopping, and you can come just to listen um, as well. True. All right, Tracy, do you want to go ahead and close this out? Looks like we've got quite a few respondents, about 18. And I will be bringing that back up later, the bring your own data. <laughs> there are a lot of ways to look at data, um, and we'll we'll talk about a few. Uh, so, so as we walk through the agenda, really what we want to make sure of is that you are getting the information that you need in the time that you need it. So, really, the point of this is to explore the why behind your data, um, be able to explain your data story, and give you a formula for that. 
Also helping to define your need, which Barb will really um, go into some depth with around how you define your need in action versus um, in in resources. So we'll talk a little bit about action versus resources. And we'll also talk about crafting goals, outcomes, objectives, and how you define program evaluation and evidence-based research. So uh, as we move forward, we do have a, a Q&A at the end, but we would like this to be as interactive as possible. So if you do have a question, either place it in the chat or unmute yourself and just announce your, your name and we will make sure that we make this as interactive as possible. And we will be looking at, um, you know, some next steps in the series. And we want to hear from you. We want to make this as successful a process for you as we can. So the more we know about what you want to see, the better off we can all be. So we'll go to the next slide. And just welcome everyone. Um, one point that I want to make is um, as we look in the um, the data and the training, we have one link that we want to share with you in the chat. We're going to do a word cloud so that everyone can see each um, each question. But in two words, what do you want um, to see? Why do you collect data? Two words. That's it. You get two words. Why do you collect data? And so there is a link in the chat to do one more of the polls. And we will be calling on folks if you want to just um, also open it up. We'll have a, a brief discussion after this. Why do you collect data? Why is it important to you? Why is it important to your organization? And it's one thing to say, yes, we get grant funds for it, but I doubt that's very high on the list of why you collect data. We see a couple of folks, grants and reporting. So believe it or not, there we go. Grants and reporting would not be my first two words, believe it or not. Here we go. Evaluate your program. All right. Identify. Identify markets. That's great. Planning. See, that would be one of the first ones on my list is planning. Program planning. Being able to identify trends and outcomes. Contacts. Identifying the impact. What else? Clarifying the problem I see someone put in the chat, tracking needs. Right, looks like we've got a fair amount here. And what we're seeing is a lot of planning and evaluation and the need for information. So you all collect data. Um, that's never been an issue, right? You all collect data. You have for years and you're good at it. Um, what we want to do here during this session is make sure that when you're looking at how to plan and how to um, collect data is to use it for multiple purposes, right? So it's a good justification for funding. 
um, for multiple sources, but it's also a really good um, tool to have for evaluation, for improvement, for planning, for um, client outcomes, and being able to know whether the clients that you've serviced are better off than they were before they walked through your doors, right? That's really the important point is are you helping them in the way that they need to be helped? So as we walk through, um, really what we're looking at is why is data needed from funders or for funders? Why do they need this? What's the important point about it? And really what it does is um, from the federal level down to the state level, this is kind of echoed throughout um, the levels of government, but there are programmatic outcomes at the federal level for health and human services, for substance abuse, they have their own goals and programmatic outcomes that they must adhere to per the administration and per the legislature. So what they are doing is identifying areas of alignment with what their programmatic outcomes are and what your outcomes and programs are. So if there's not an alignment um, within the data, and within your program practices, it's unlikely that you'll be funded. So really what you want to do is when you're looking at grants, be able to identify what the funding agency is looking for and be able to provide evidence for the need for that particular funding agency. That's a real key that, um, you know, in the federal world is that's the first thing that they look for. Will this advance the federal outcomes? Will this advance the federal platform? Um, and the way that you show the need is through evidence and through data. So they are looking for statistics. They are looking for evidence that supports that programmatic alignment. They're looking for evidence that supports any need um, for service. And when they start to look into your grant applications and narratives, what they want to see is the depth and breadth of services, but not just how you explain them in a narrative, but how you can substantiate them with data. And so part of this is really focusing on the depth and breadth of your organization's services, but in the way that the data supports them. And so when you're looking at federal program alignment and evidence, you have to look critically at the data that you currently collect and the data that supports your programmatic outcomes. And then also where you see a need. I mean, um, organizations don't just develop or progress because it's it's a good thing, right? There is evidence that supports what it is to be good. There is evidence to support um, the services that you provide. There is an identified need in the community that's supported by evidence and supported by statistics. They also look for effectiveness um, at the federal level, especially um, efficacy of interventions and the, um, the implementation fidelity of interventions is really important. So if you cannot provide how you create and explain your program's effectiveness, it's going to be a hard sell 
for funders. Um, and what I mean by that is it's one thing to promise the world. Um, we, we talk about this a lot where an outcome may be that someone's general well-being is, is better off than it was when they entered your program. But what does that mean, really? How do you define that? How do you know it's effective? Are you sure that it's effective? Are you using the correct measurements? And so really well-being can be unpacked in several different ways. And we'll talk a little bit about how we unpack some of the need statements. Uh, we also want to look at the effectiveness over time. Um, often with federal funding agencies, we are seeing um, more and more evidence-based practices um, that are specific to efficacy and effectiveness. Um, so I can't focus on that bullet point enough. Um, and effectiveness can take many different avenues or many different definitions. So effectiveness in a mental health treatment is going to look very different than effectiveness in a large scale um, housing stability type of program, right? They can still be very effective, but the measurement is going to look different. And the way you describe those with your statistics is going to look different. So what we really want to seek out is how are you using your data to address the funder's needs? OK, um, because ultimately it has to make that programmatic alignment um, to be able to to really, you know, use the funding. We also um, look for evidence of cost associated with program implementation. Cost needs to be reasonable associated with the evidence that you're supporting for your outcomes. And this is typically at scale, right? So if you have a very intensive intervention for a few um, very at-risk individuals, that may cost the same as working with a thousand individuals with a light touch effort. So really what we're looking at is cost associated with outcome and the higher the intensity and the higher the level of um, need, we would expect the cost to be higher with lower um, with lower enrollment. So really what we want to do is make sure those are reasonable, though. And it is your job as the narrator of the grant to convince the funder of that. Um, so really, some of your statistics and your your explanation will have to come down to, is this cost effective? So we know the intervention is effective, but it's 10 times more than the funding agency is willing to spend. That's going to be a hard sell. How can we look at the benefit cost and what that ratio is to be able to fund? All right, next slide. So one way of really getting um, some effective storytelling, um, we've, we've talked to you about this um, as, as nonprofits and just into the world, what's the most effective way of telling your story? We all tell our stories through data. Um, I can tell my story right now using data that, um, you know, I grew up in West Virginia, um, I'm 44 years old. I am a white Caucasian woman um, and I work for Loudoun County 
and I'm working on this particular project, right? There are ways to explain your story. There are also ways to explain your organization's story in laying the foundation. And so what this is, is data storytelling. How can you effectively lay the foundation and get your point across with as little words as possible? Often what tends to happen are um, character limits or word limits for um, grant applications and grant narratives. So one way that you can help to alleviate some of the burden is putting in um, visualizations and visual cues that help to explain the data in a couple of sentences plus a visualization rather than writing three paragraphs of what your data are, who's collecting them, and what some of the outcomes are. So I just have an example here um, from the county administrator's budget presentation where it's really clear employment, we are looking at employment growth and um, negative growth. So you can see very clearly that in fiscal year 21, there's a story to tell what happened, right? And we know the pandemic. Um, and then what we see also is then four different comparators. Right. We have Loudoun, the D.C. Metro, Virginia and the U.S. So we already can tell um, at least two paragraphs worth of a story in just one visualization. This also gets to your main point of what you want to say. Employment over the course of the last four years in Loudoun County has been mixed. We saw a decline, then we saw a significant increase and then declining returns, right? So that's three, you know, points that we can make in one graphic. You also want to focus um, your audience on the explanation. So taking a few sentences and really helping the audience understand what you mean in the simplest of terms is really effective. Um, so again, with, with words, it's really difficult with statistics, it's hard to get your point across all the time because the average reviewer may either not know your organization or may not have the same viewpoint. And so what you want to do is make sure that you are able to explain it in the simplest terms and visualizations really help you with that. Another key point to data storytelling is making it linear. And this is something that we've noted um, throughout the last several years um, with our grant applications at the county and also many of your grant applications um, with the nonprofits is the nonprofit human service process is making it linear. So what we want to hear is how you got from A to B to C. So if you're talking about the annual process, what we would want to hear is from the last three years, starting three years ago, where were you? Last year, where were you? Today, where are you? So it shows this linear progression and it's easy to explain in a data visualization with a cue. So it creates a linear story that then you can tell where you're going. So you know where you were, where you are and where you're going. That's a really key point to make for any kind of grant funding. 
And I do see in the chat, um, Val asks a question, what happens when the grant platform doesn't support graphics? That's a great question. I think um, what you would do in terms of the platform is ask if there are attachments available. And if there are, go ahead and make those attachments. Reference them in the narrative and make those attachments. Because with the grant reviewers, they don't have a lot of time. So you need to cross-reference. And you need to make sure that your data match. That's going to be really key. Um, is down to the decimal point. Make sure that your data match with your story and make sure that they match with the narrative and the linearity that we're expecting to see. So you can also think about this as trend analysis or as longitudinal analysis. And it is focused on making sure that you get the biggest bang for your buck because often there are word limits or character limits. Next slide. So with some of these um, applications, you know, what we see most frequently, both in the federal state and at the local level um, in grant applications are there are some of the most frequently used statistics that just help us tell those stories. And they don't have to be, you know, multivariate statistics or multivariate regression or logistic regression. That doesn't necessarily matter to be able to tell your story. Essentially, what we're looking at are descriptive statistics, which is on the left hand side of your screen, and then inferential statistics, which are on the right hand side. And essentially, what we're looking for is how you identify your data set. So you have data already existing on your clients. What do you want to talk about? related to their progress or their standing. And so when you look at a measure of central trend tendency, a frequency is just a count. It's a percentage of the total. Um, very um, user-friendly. I think the majority of you, if not all of you, have used frequencies or percentages in the past. The same thing with the mean or an average. Essentially, what we're looking at is how can you identify who the most middle of the road average or center point is for your clientele, okay? Or for that general population that you're going to compare them to. So you wanna be able to compare apples to apples. And the difference when you're thinking about statistics and the measures of central tendency is the difference between the mean and the mean and the median. So the mean, if you're not aware, is the average. So it takes into account everyone, including the highest outlier and the lowest outlier. So it provides you with an average score, but that doesn't necessarily take into account dispersion, which is skewness. Maybe you have some folks who are skewing higher um, and there may only be two or three of them that throw everything else off. So what you can also do is look at the median, which is the exact middle of the number of clients that you have. So for instance, if we're looking on a scale of one to 100 and 50 is the median, period. But what if we have three 100s and no zeros? Well, then the average is going to look something like 55 or 60, when really the median is what you want to focus on. So you can utilize two different ways of explaining your data. Um, in your applications. 
when we talk about mode, that is really just the most um, occurring number that's in your data. So you can say the majority or um, the, the, the most used age range was fill in the blank. That's a mode. All right. When we talk about dispersion, what we're really trying to do is you're trying to paint a picture of the um, the typical client or the typical clientele that utilize your services. And that's where the range comes in. So if we continue to use the um, the idea of one to 100, the range would be one to 100. Um, and skewness would be how far to the right or left of 50 the the client's range. So for instance, if you're talking about a youth program, then your data would likely skew to the left, where you have um, more clients that are younger than you would older. So what you want to do is use these statistics to paint the picture of who you're helping. And really, it's a vivid picture when utilized with data visualization. Um, to a lesser extent, I think for your purposes are inferential statistics. And those statistics really are those tests of significance, hypothesis tests. So if you're utilizing a treatment or a service and can get pre-post data, that is where you would want to use inferential statistics. Correlations are also to help determine the, the relationship between two variables. Trends are looking at, um, you know, differences over time and being able to identify probabilities that an estimated outcome would occur. You don't have to have these um, for every grant application. What you need are really those, those measures that tell us who your clients are, who your sample is, and who is the comparator population. So when we start to think about it, we'll think about it as a funnel, and we'll get a little bit further into that. So as we move forward, next slide, thank you. As we move forward, we also wanna make sure that when we think about as a funder or from a funder's perspective, that these data are often used in policymaking decisions. So especially um, at the agency level or federal and state organizations, as we mentioned, their goals and outcomes, your goals and outcomes need to align with theirs programmatically. And then what we also um, want to focus on is how these can be used for policy decisions. So let's say our rental assistance program or our, um, our Loudoun recovery program that has served us throughout the pandemic um, have data that support continuing these programs. That's where data and equity converge. So we have intersecting needs and intersecting outcomes that show improved um, outcomes or goals for the population. And essentially what the White House blog and this Amplifund blog do is illustrate the need for addressing equity through data collection, because we don't know what we don't know if we don't collect the data. And we need to be able to show and be able to demonstrate that the funds that are being provided by the federal and state and local governments 
are being used for their intended purpose and for their intended population. So this really does get at making sure that the funds are there for those who most need it. And so uh, we will have links to both of these blogs in um, in the, the accompanying materials. All right. So I'm going to pause there before we do our next poll. Are there any questions? Comments? It's a lot. I just went over a ton of stuff in like less than 20 minutes. It's a lot. Hey, Megan, this is Valerie. Peace yeah, hi, Valerie. Hey. Um, yeah. The So for those of uh, that are not familiar with these kinds of statistical tests, is there um, any links or can you provide links that, you know, I know that there's systems out or in on the great web that will take your data and will actually give you like your significance and your skewedness mm -hmm. and all those kinds of graphs and things like that. Can you provide us with any that you find are not, uh, you know, a statistic class, but are something that that we could use, you know, relatively easily to produce some of those stats so that we could look at those to see if they do tell the story that we think they do? Absolutely. Um, we can provide a couple of links um, with the materials. We can also, that's the point of the workshop, um, the BYOD workshop, is to be able to, to teach you how to do pivot tables and to teach um, some of the, the formulas that you can use in Excel. I think Excel is probably the best tool for some of this, where really, if you click the right range and can enter copy and paste something from a resource library which we'll be able to provide to be able to illustrate some of those statistics that's going to be your best bet so we can definitely provide those uh, there are several that um, you can just dump your data in and they will tell you what the mean median mode what the um, dispersion is etc that's a great question, and we can definitely provide that. Thank you. Other questions? Comments, needs? Okay, all right. So hopefully not everyone has fallen asleep yet <laughs> when we talk about statistics. Um, but what we wanna do is for the next slide, talk a little bit about what data you're already collecting. You all already collect so much data. And it's really evident when we see um, the data that you either provide on your human service nonprofit or ARPA applications, but it's also clear um, in community interviews or other areas that, um, that you are collecting these data. So the question we have is what data are you already collecting? And you can say a lot, uh, but we will ask you what the a lot means. <laughs> and I will say um, for my previous work um, in research and evaluation, you know, we collected all demographic information um, according to census uh, guidelines. We also collected baseline data using tests. We collected um, progress data using tests. 
uh, outputs. That's a good one. Um, the count of who finished a program, the um, the post data so that we could do comparisons. We also looked at um, the number of other variables that could impact how our outcomes were determined, whether or not there were extraneous variables. Ooh, historical data, that's interesting. I might have to ask the person who put that in there about that. Outcome short and long. Ooh, number of graduated, great. That's a good outcome. What else? Satisfaction, improvement in situation. We'll give it 30 more seconds. And Tracy, how many do we have? Is this the little nine in the corner? Is that? Yes. Okay. Don't be shy. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, increase in parental time. That's an interesting one, too. Volunteer involvement. Contact info with geographic information. Number and in program. All right. And these are really, really helpful because you think about both client and then aggregate data. And what we've been talking about for most of the data is aggregate data, right? Mean, median, mode. Um, these are statistics that really require an aggregate. But some of these that you're talking about are also, um, oh, there we go, decrease in docketed case. Um, so those are individual statistics, which can also be useful when you're thinking about um, single case studies or um, single study research design where you know you have information and collect data regularly on each client and you may have a very small client role and what you're doing is collecting at regular intervals to deem the progress um, and to measure that progress really interesting all right and so Another question that we have, um, if we want to go ahead and lock that out, is, you know, what tools do you use to collect those data? So we have demographic data, we have um, program level data, graduation data. Where do you get those data? How do you collect them? What tools do you use? And you can just put that in the chat. Not everybody at once. Surveys, great. Surveys and applications. Google Forms, love Google Forms. Applications, yep, surveys. Wonderful. Interview Excel sheet, great. Registration, wonderful. All right, email and text surveys, okay. Ooh, text P2P. Very nice. All right. So we do have um, quite a few similarities in, in the, the list. 
And it sounds like depending on the service that you're providing, surveys are really the way to go, which are these self-report measures that help you to, to delineate or measure progress towards a goal. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the needs statement um, and, and focus on how you can hone in some of these data to get exactly what you need to create this, this grant narrative. But first, we have to start at the beginning, which is the need. Um, so let's go to the next slide. And as we've already talked about, I just kind of want to frame this up for you. Um, when we talk about the data that funders need, you know, we talked about the the most effective data storytelling and what funders need in terms of evidence. But the way you put it together um, really is important. And I always like to think about this as a funnel, a funnel of information. And so first you want to start with that community data, right? So this is the context that you're providing. Many of you are really good at this. You have the context and the community data that you already have in hand, that you use the Loudoun County website, that you use the census, that you use all of these pieces, LCPS data, to help describe the picture. And then that is a perfect opportunity to then move into the next segment, which is then defining what your resources are, where you're limited where you see the limitations of the population that you want to serve or that you are serving um, and how that population can be impacted by the services that you're providing. And then you have even a third layer that talks about the description statistically of the services you provide. For instance, is there a, a typical level and intensity of service? So if you are reaching out for um, weekly um, backpacks for children to take home um, to to go for the weekends. What I've heard, I'm not sure if this participant is on here, but that they they average the amount of food for a family of four, right? That's an important statistic right there. Um, they need to make sure that that's included in how they measure and explain the service. If you have um, a program whose efficacy is shown at, you know, two times per week for six months. Is that what you're delivering? And if so, talk about the level and intensity of that. You also want to talk about how you're evaluating your program and how the evidence um, and the evidence-based programming and practices that you're putting into place help to get you to arrive at that need. Okay, so you have all of these data out here, and sorry, I talk with my hands, so if you can't see me, I'm talking with my hands right now. Um, but you have all of these data that you can choose from in terms of the context. What you need to do is paint the picture using the data storytelling techniques to put it all together. So you have the picture. Where's your place in it? How do you define exactly where you are? That's the niche. That's where you want to put your main statistics and your data visualizations so that you show from this context up here at the top of the funnel, you've explained why some things work and some things don't. You've explained why your target population is in need because you have statistics to prove it and provide evidence for. And then you talk about the effectiveness of your program and who you're going to serve. 
those connections are a very compelling argument, um, not only for the need, but for the effectiveness of your program. So when you're talking about um, a grant and the funding agency is asking you, well, what does that mean? You have this approach to show them in an elevator speech, five sentences. This is what it is. Um, and then you can elaborate in a narrative. But really, essentially, what you're doing is is making sure that you provide the context, the population parameters, because you don't want to serve outside of that population. That's scope creep and mission creep. And then how effective your program is going to be, given the data. And we'll talk um, about the evidence-based research and how given the data and what it means to be effective. And with that, um, you know, we're talking about now determining a need and how do you do that and how do you describe it? So I'm going to introduce Barb, who's going to walk you through some of the need statements. But before we do that, I just want to pause um, and see if there are any other questions or comments. And please always add them to the chat if you don't feel comfortable unmuting and and calling out yourself. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to Barb. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. I'm Barb Lawrence. I'm the grants coordinator with the county. Um, excuse my voice. I'm on the tail end of a cold, so I apologize for that. Um, we're going to just talk about how to describe your need. So if you could go to the next slide, Tracy. Sure. And Barbara, your mic is up. Oh, thank you. Is go. that better? <laughs> thank you. So the most important thing um, is to read and understand the notice of funding um, announcement or the RFP um, and customize your data and narrative to illustrate how your work matches the funder's priority and scope. Um, you need to describe your problem using that data. Um, you need to also show what progress you've made already in your project and then why your services are unique. Indeed, statement for grants is the underlying problem or issue within your community that your application will address. A need statement outlines a public or community need that the grant applicant's proposed project aims to address. The statement of need is also commonly known as the problem statement, need statement, or needs assessment. The statement of need is, a criti is critical to communicating the significant and urgent need to the funder. It establishes the focus and rationale of your target larger, of your rationale of your larger grant application. By the end of the needs assessment, the reviewer should have a clear understanding and recognition of the underlying problem, not just its symptoms. So the, <clears throat> you're really identifying how bad is the problem and who says it's bad. Your problem statement is about an external problem. It's not about you and it's also not about whining. It's not about not meeting payroll, not to get more room in your office, not replacing a three-year-old car. It's not about hiring an additional officer. These are all activities. Rule tool, two, which coincides with rule one, is to consider your audience. Look at the funder priorities and again, read the notice of funding announcement. The first step in writing a problem statement involves assessing the need. 
formal and informal assessments are the best tools to determine the need of the community, clients, and organization. Describe the problem that exists in your community, what barriers the population has to accessing services, and what would improve their quality of life. Use data to back it up. Demonstrate the need with facts and data. Talk about your current activities to address the problem and use research to show both why your intervention is necessary and why your approach will be successful. Including specific data in your grant application can strengthen your arguments, making your application more compelling by demonstrating the extent of the need you propose to alleviate and the value of your program. But you want to make sure your grant application is readable, relatable, and persuasive to your readers. The next slide. Some examples of data to describe need. Um, there really isn't any standard list of data that funders need. It really depends on the funding agency and what they're looking for. So going back again, really understanding and knowing what that funder is looking for. Um, so again, these are some um, examples, could include the American Community Survey that talks about income, poverty, food stamps data um, to describe the need in your community. There's lots of education data out there around IEPs, English language learners, free and reduced lunch, um, research. Um, again, lots of research data out there that describes the long-term impact that the barriers to services will have. And then there's lots of other um, data out there, the client demand, there's needs assessment surveys, focus groups, um, and this can all come from within your own agency um, in looking at those needs and those focus group surveys. So again, there really <clears throat> isn't a standardized list of what funders are looking for in data. Um, but remember, there are many sources out there to highlight your particular problem. Your own agency, as we've talked about, collects data on your clients you serve. So do as do local governments, school systems, foundations, research institutes. So find the data you can, uh, find all the data that you can, and then use the most impactful to tell your story. The next slide. In constructing a need statement, you need to focus on the targeted need for the, for your project, um, not your organization's overall need and not necessarily your entire mission. Demonstrate the need with facts and data. Be clear about the differences between the external problem and your methods and strategies. And again, don't complain or focus on lack of what you have um, to execute a new project or, or, or uh, project expands it expansion, excuse me, focus on the need. A problem or need statement should answer the question, why care? You are providing details to your funder so they understand the importance, urgency, and significance of the problem at hand. A compelling, concise, and effective need statement establishes a grant application's rationale for clearly identifying the urgent need or unmet problem within your community. In the next few slides, we're going to um, use what we took from a training that Tracy and I went to um, called Grant Writing USA to help um, build a need statement. 
So if you were to make a T-chart that had the problem on one side and methods or strategies on the other, think about why you're applying for the grant. Is it because your organization's lack of funds, equipment, people, or other items that your organization needs? Again, the first step in writing a problem statement involves assessing the need. Formal and informal assessments are the best tools to determine the needs of your community. A formal assessment involves structure, standard assessment tools, and advanced planning. Examples include client surveys, strategic planning, and data analysis. Informal assessments are more flexible and dynamic, and they include observations, anecdotal records, and interviews. So we start trying to identify that problem or need. Next slide. So some examples of a typical lack of what your organization has are listed here. We need technology to improve the working environment and services we provide. Our officers do not have the training they need to help the community. We need funding for officer overtime. Once you know what the problem is, you must define it for your funder. For this example, the problem could be that address for drunk driving are at an all time high. So what are we going to do? We're going to look for some technology, increased officers, increased time. So in building, if you could go, thank you. Um, in building that, we're going to move your problems over to the strategies um, and activities side. We're going to move them to the right side and make these actionable items. You go to the next slide. So instead of saying we need technology, we are going to say we will provide the technology. So they're more actionable items um, to improve services identified in our community. We've identified those specific services through different surveys, different, different means. We've captured that data. Officers will receive training um, to those targeted neighborhoods. Um, and then again, um, we will provide officer overtime um, instead of we need that funding. So they become more actionable items. Then in the next slide here, we've again, we've kind of taken a, kind of some jump steps forward quickly, but I mentioned arrests for drunkard or drug driving are high. So in since 2015, this is all the data that we've identified. Um, on the left, we show the evidence of the need. DUIs increased, weekend arrests have increased. So we start identifying and putting that data in place then to coincide with our methods and strategies and activities. So once you've completed your assessment and define your need, the next step is to use that data to support your claim need. Look to legitimate sources of data collection government agencies, universities, foundation, and other authoritative organizations are great places to start. While, statistic, while st statistics are necessary, um, it, is not only, it is not only your data source. Quotes from other authoritative individuals, statements from relevant agencies also support that need as well as client testimonies. An effective need statement for grants clearly defines the problem with valid and compelling data. It is important to provide accurate and supporting statistics when describing the need. This will prove that someone other than you believes your need is a critical problem. 
When identifying data, be sure to use comparative data. In other words, find data that provides an appropriate comparison. And Megan mentioned this earlier, apples to apples within the community and at that national level. Identify your target population and ensure all of your data is looking at the same population. Next slide. Here we're going to look at um, about a year and a half ago, um, we submitted a grant on behalf of um, Loudoun County Public Schools um, through the Virginia Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention um, Program. So we're going to include an example of um, a need statement here. So if you could go to the next slide. So in the, the first part, since 2012, this gives you background. It's a simple way of stating since 2012 demonstrates that the 10 year experience in facilitating a pro the in facilitating programs. In the in the second part, as as the um, restorative practices, um, we talk more about that. There, it's cited. We've looked to see what the successes of restorative practices are. So we have cited that. So it shows um, that interventions reduce risk of suspension. And then the third bullet um, is our demographic information, and this illustrates population and shows disproportionate impact. So these are frequencies that help support um, and help illustrate the population. Again, um, here in the first paragraph, more research is cited about disproportionate impacts. Um, researchers have noted that the overuse of suspensions, so it goes into more detail. Um, and then we can, we go further in the detail, and then the last paragraph shows past successes and why we want to expand the program and why we're asking for funding. So to conclude, the results of your needs assessment along with data collected from reliable sources are used to document need. This information to answer one or more of the following. Um, how will you determine that the need existed? What exactly is the problem? And here you use data points collected. Who does the problem affect? Are you helping all the clients or just a subset? What will happen if you do not fix the problem now? Will it cost more to fix it later? Will the problem continue to grow without intervention? What is the return on investment for fixing the problem? The best need, need statements clearly and concisely define the need in a simple and easy way to read. Document the need with well-supported evidence focused on the people to be served rather than the organization's needs include project impact as a result of the application. Um, and effective need statements are incisive. They stay on message. They're inclusive. They contain all the re required parts and are intelligible. Um, the urgent need is based on logic and fact. Reviewers should feel a real sense of urgency and feel compelled to act immediately to solve this urgent need. And with that, I'll pause. Are there any questions? Again, a lot to take in, but we're going to unpack some of that. Questions? 
questions, comments about the needs statement and connection to data? I would just say, are we going to get a copy of, sorry, it's Valerie again. I seem <laughs> to have lots of questions today. Um, are we going to get a copy of the slides? And yes. can we up a copy of Barb's narrative maybe? Because there was a lot of great information in there that obviously couldn't all fit on the slide, but that maybe we can read and digest a little bit. Absolutely. Yes, we will provide the um, the notes slides for you. Definitely. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we want this to be a resource, so we will give you all the information that we have. All right. So now we're going to unpack. And um, part of this next slide is really thinking about what the needs statement does in connecting it to data. And so one thing that we um, we always want to think about when we're looking at the needs statement is what changes. What are you anticipating the change from and the change to? So we typically, when we're looking at data and statistics, is the dependent and independent variable. Or what we can think about is, um, you know, who's being changed, right? Uh, that's the dependent variable, the thing that changes. And what is the intervention? That's the independent variable. What is causing this change? And so when we look about that, when we think about that, I, we're going to go back over this needs statement example. And I do want this to be interactive. So so please um, be aware that we really want to think about how we operationalize these constructs because it's important to be as clear as possible when submitting a grant application and submitting that needs statement. Um, as Barb mentioned, you know, we really need to think about the notice of funding opportunity. If this were written um, for community corrections in, let's say, um, DCJS, right? Something that is maybe a criminal courts type of NOFO, it would look very different than an education NOFO. Um, we would use different data. We would use different um, clarifying remarks. So I wanted to just open this up. Um, what did you hear that was, who was going to be affected? What's the dependent variable? Who's going to be effective? I will call on people. <laughs> the community, okay, yep. All right, and what was the intervention? More equipment? Let's unpack it. Go to the next slide, Tracy. More training, okay. So really what this does, and, and when we talk about, keep going, Tracy, there are the arrows here. Yeah, there we go, keep going, one more. All right, so um, really what we're talking about here on this first statement is all about the population and who will be affected. All right, so Loudoun County Public Schools has been working on this restorative practices. That's the intervention. That's what they're saying is an evidence-based intervention for students. So 
in in working through this, they're talking about disproportional suspension rates. They're talking about the student population. So it does go to the community, but really it's focused on this student population because that's what the notice of funding opportunity was about. All right, next slide. When we get into more detail, what we're looking at um, for the first paragraph is that suspension and expulsion is not effective. So we're already comparing what suspension and expulsion can do to what they're applying for. OK, so restorative practice is a better alternative to suspension expulsion because it does perpetuate suspension expulsion perpetuates that school to prison pipeline. That is the argument. They have data to back that up. Um, this is the community level data that we were talking about earlier. This is evidence that supports the specific program versus another program. Then when we start looking into the number of cases and conferences, as we move forward, you know, it has 17 cases in 2013-14 to a projected 134. So there are multiple um, pieces that are needed to this, specifically staff. So, Kelly, when you said more officers, yes, it's it's talking about staffing, right? How can we make sure to use this effective effective according to the evidence effective way of keeping students in school and engaged in programs and not suspend or expel them for um for infractions so what they've done is created a compelling argument so it's not just one sentence this will be multiple layers, as we were talking about with the funnel. They started out with community level data. They they talked about um, the importance of the intervention compared to other interventions like suspension expulsion. And then they talked about their specific data and what their need is. So when we think about the funnel, ex, ex, you know, uh, illustration, that's exactly what we're talking about is that funnel. All right. Next slide. Perfect. So what I'm going to do is give you five minutes to just write out some bullet points. Take a program in your organization. Think about what that program is and start thinking about that needs assessment or excuse me, the needs statement. What exactly is it that your organization needs grant funds for? OK, we'll give you five minutes. Think about what it is that you need grant funds for. And Tracy, let's go back to slide eight. We'll give you five minutes and let's use this blueprint for data storytelling, okay? So what we wanna see is laying that foundation like LCPS did for restorative practices. What's the foundation that you have? You have it. You know it by heart. Your organization's mission is about it. What's your main point? How do you focus the audience? And how has it gone from two years ago to last year to this year? Take five minutes. Just jot some notes down because we'll talk through them. Doesn't have to be perfect. Just jot some notes down. We'll give you five minutes. 
All right, Tracy, how much time do we have left on our timer? I think we can move on now. Okay. Okay, so um, let's go back to the slide and who would like to just provide an example of what their needs statement might be? Or a portion of it. Again, doesn't have to be perfect. What we're talking about here is, um, you know, what data comes to mind automatically. We will build on this over the course of the next several trainings. So this series really is culminating in multiple pieces of a grant um, application in terms of data blueprinting. So um, who wants to just share? This is a safe space. I can speak for the county, I can't speak for everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we're all friends here. You want Hi, to Bonnie. just talk or do it? In yeah, the absolutely. No, let's just let's just take a couple of minutes. Yeah, we'll go Bonnie okay. and then we'll go Lisa. I can't believe I'm going first. Okay. Go for it, Bonnie. <laughs> um, we feel that, uh, well, eviction filings are, are on the rise. Um, I have a statistic for that. <laughs> But if we can stop the eviction from occurring, we feel that it will create housing stability. Okay. Um, we first of all, I don't know if this is, I hope to, we will first identify or uh, I hear the emergency um, and then we will identify the barrier or we'll fix the emergency, identify the barriers, create a plan, and um, which will lead to self sufficiency and follow up. Okay. Yes, and no. <laughs> no, I think this is this is a really great start. And um, what I would ask is, where's the evidence of housing stability? That uh, that causing or that solving someone's problem with not living in their house. Yeah, I think I think one. Yes, I think one area would be um, like taking a look at national statistics to say this is an effective way of creating housing stability. Right. So like you're you're talking about eviction filings are on the rise. That is a definite need for the population that we serve. Um, stopping evictions helps to promote housing stability. That statement needs evidence. And so there are multiple sources of evidence out there that support that statement. Um, what you would want to do is find citations um, to to support that, to say, X number or X percentage of those who needed eviction assistance and remained in their house reported higher um, higher housing stability, better outcomes for their kids, et cetera, because they were able to remain in their same school, et cetera. But bolstering that statement with already existing evidence is really, really important. Um, and then I think with the ID barriers and plan, that's going to be a separate component because that's your program. That's your implementation. What you want to do is separate the need from what you're going to do. So what LCPS did was say, here's our evidence. So what you would want to do is say the number of evictions in Loudoun County has gone up by X number. And the number of filings has gone up by X number. And then you get into your program description. 
but you're 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 you've got a great start. That is fantastic. Fantastic. All right. I see. Yeah, I see Kelly who has her hand up. If you want to unmute yourself. (laughs) Hi. Um, So um, I think I focus maybe more on the need. um, Yes. Piece of what you were talking about. So we. Um, know that, and we have data about the numbers of uh, children in foster, adoptive, and kinship families, um, that we know that number is high. We know that number is growing. Um, we know that the rate of disability or special needs amongst that population is high um, and disproportionately um, high. Uh, and we know that the rate of trauma um, and the trauma impact is high in those. So and so that would be like sort of our foundational, um, I guess, like what do we know? and then. Second set of what we know is then outcomes for that population are pretty poor. So then we, I think we would build on how our programs are going to help address that. Is that sort of what, right? Yep. (laughs) Yep. And, and again, what we want is, is you mentioned three types of statistics that we would want to see, right? A frequency with the number. You also provide a rate, which is a ratio. Um, so we're looking at um, the rate of disabilities is maybe disproportionately high. You would want to have a comparator to that compared to what? Um, the rate of trauma is high compared to what? Um, and then outcomes are poor compared to what? Because there are, that's a that's a, a very vulnerable population. And I think you can even expand on the types of outcomes that you see in general populations to the adoptive kinship um, populations that you're that you're referring to. Um, another area is looking at um, the evidence of effectiveness of programs. And so are there programs that would be more effective? Right. So, for instance, um, this will depend on your funder. But when we're talking about, um, you know, evidence of effectiveness, what's the intervention? What's the program? Um, And so do you want to talk a little bit about that or just like a brief two sentence? Because that could provide that that piece (laughs) of it. Yeah. So, I mean, we we are a family led organization. So our 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 um, go to programming is is uh, peer-led supports. So training, um, peer support, um, consultations, classes, that kind of thing. So that would be, I think, our our first answer to that. Okay, Um, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Because then what you can say is peer-led supports are shown to be effective for, you know, these populations um, and then provide that evaluation data. And so you're using some of the statistics we're already talking about. That's perfect. Yeah. Great. Others? That was helpful. Anyone else want to jump in? Lisa? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I mute myself. Um, so I'm Lisa with Women Giving Back. Um, we have a very specific need, and that is diapers um, that Women Giving Back uh, pivot, pivoted from their main mission of clothing during the pandemic because a third of all families were experiencing diaper insecurity. And so we became we um, started a diaper pantry um, and that it has gone from uh, we gave out 30,000 a year ago to we now give out 60,000 a month. And so we are in need would be in need of specifically in funding for not only the diapers, but the baby wipes that we provide to over 500 uh, children a month. 
So I have you know, some specific things on um, diaper insecurity and how it affects the family and can lead to the health of the child and instability in the home, anxiety for the mother. Um, they can't take the child to childcare because they don't have the diapers. Um, so we translate and use some of the numbers that we, how many people that we are serving and what the shortfall is um, because we were only receiving so many diapers in, in partnership with the DC Diaper Bank. Oh, that's great. That's great. So again, I think you're all on the right track. What I would do, Lisa, is flip that argument. Mm -hmm. I would flip it to say, you know, diaper insecurity is a real issue, especially given the um, the aftermath of the pandemic. Here's what happens to the family. Here's the evidence for that. Right. Um, that 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 leads to um, absences in child care that leads to lower outcomes that also then um, you know, that diaper insecurity then provides health issues um, or contributes to health issues for the baby, et cetera. And here's the need. Um, so you've gone from 30 to 60. And then that's your statement. So you've got you've done the funnel. Right. That's really what we're talking about. That's great because you're really you're comparing your own data. So you have some of the range and, and um, comparison that you're looking at. You also have data that supports that evidence piece. I think that's enough to illustrate what you're talking about. That's great. Others, we'll get, we'll do one more. I'll go. Okay. Thanks, Donna. Hi, thanks. Um, we have data that there is a shortage of court reporters. There are people being hired to transcribe audio in other countries, creating security breaches, of personal data, and showing poor transcript quality, making it unusable in litigation. With more funds to pay for training, voice and stenor writers can be educated in our state, creating more tax revenue back to the state and reliable and secure record making. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> There are a lot of um, a lot of things to unpack there, right? So what's the cause of the shortage? That's where I would start, or not necessarily the cause, but where's the evidence that you can support? Um, I'm sure there's plenty of evidence out there. Um, you know, what is that shortage, um, especially when it comes to Loudoun County? And then you mentioned, you know, with poor translation of services and then the lack of um, confidentiality of the data that's again pretty huge so it would depend on what your ask is is it that you want to conduct a training program for um, court reporters would you want to hire a freelance court reporting service so my question is where what's the need right because i think that you have multiple ways of solving a lack of court reporters um, but in two sentences, what's the evidence and then where do you want to go with it? So that's going to be your need statement. Is it that it's a training program? Is it that it's a specific, um, you know, service that you want to provide? What is that piece? Okay. It's training. Thank you. Yes. Oh, perfect. There you go. So it's training. And so, yeah, you can talk about um, the the need for training programs, maybe a lack of training programs within the state of Virginia or the state of Maryland, which we border. Um, so there are multiple ways that you can pull that evidence down. That's great. 
Thank you. All right. And I know we only have seven minutes left, so we're going to we're going to scroll through some of this a little more quickly. I will say there are going to be many more slides here when you get the slide deck than we're able to go through. But these are going to be slides that you see um, time and again. Um, so don't be worried if you feel as though we're going pretty quickly. You'll see these again. Um, so when we talk about the need and we we have a clear indication and operationalized need statement, then what we do is talk about, OK, our program. So we've identified this need as external to what we're doing, right? These are external to the organization. Now what you want to do is talk about what the organization can do to help that need. So to do that, you want to start thinking about the goals, objectives, and activities that will get you to that, to accomplish or move the needle on that need, okay? So you may say that some goals um, could be client well-being, housing stability, employment. We've talked a little bit about a couple of those already. Um, but really, they describe how um, your client's situation is expected to change. These are very high-level results, right? Very high-level. And what you want to do is think about how this relates to your need statement and how the data support this, um, this goal, right? What data can you collect? What data do you already have that supports this? And then when we start thinking about objectives, um, you know, you want to also think about how you can flow from your mission. Um, so when we think about goals and objectives, really the objective is to break down that goal into manageable steps and manageable strategies, manageable segments. Um, what you want to do is make sure that these are either process or orient, or excuse me, outcome oriented. So what that means is, let's take, let's take the shortage of court reporters. I think that's a, that's a good one. If we're looking at a training program, the first goal would be to enroll X number of um, students in a court reporting training program. An objective would be to advertise the, you know, training program. Activities would be to meet with, you know, Nova Community College, would be to meet with high schools, would be to, you know, focus on actionable steps that are much smaller than the goal. But what we do is those roll up. I always like to think of almost like a curtain. The activities roll up into the objectives, roll up into the goal. If you've accomplished activities, that should determine the objective is accomplished. If the objectives are all accomplished under a goal, that should indicate that your goal has been accomplished. Okay, so they all should feed into one another and from one another. Um, so here's an illustration. If you go to the next page, here's an illustration of what I mean by this. So. I've color coded this with the goal being blue, increased feelings of well-being among clients. Very, very basic, very, very broad. Um, but the first objective would be to establish a baseline. I mean, you don't know where your client's well-being is 
until you've measured a baseline. So you would administer like a pre-treatment questionnaire. Um, a second objective of increasing feelings of well-being would be to determine a treatment plan, right? So it's very basic. You know these. These are intrinsic in your program planning already. You just have to be able to illustrate those to funders and illustrate them in such a way that you're clear and concise and to the point of what you're going to accomplish. Each of these aspects um goals objectives and activities are all rooted in data so there has to be data collected at each level to make sure that you are actually showing evidence of the effectiveness of your program and so what we're going to do is go to the next slide and um, I just want to get a couple of sentences from you. You can just write it in the chat about what you see as challenging for writing goals and objectives. And we will use this as a follow-up activity. So in the chat, um, you know, we don't anticipate this being any anywhere beyond where we are, um, but we will use this for our next training uh, on what is challenging about writing goals and objectives, and especially as they relate to the need and the data sources. So we know that data is necessary at every level. What's challenging about this? Some of them are ever-changing. That's a good point. Yes. Making them measurable. Okay. That's excellent. Dependent on funding. Okay. Great. What else? Too broad of a mission statement. Okay. So with a mission statement, that's when you can go into your programming. Um, if you have program area, either objectives or goals. That's a good point. Avoid circle. Yes. Circular reasoning. Very good point. Yes. Because you can get caught up in that cycle. Translating to specific programs. Okay. Very good. So these are all really, really good um, illustrations of what some of the challenges we see on a regular basis are when it comes to using data to explain what a need is, but then explain how you're going to address it, right? And make sure that it stays central to the funder and the reader of the application. So that's where we're going to be going next. Um, so Tracy, if you can go to slide let's do um 51 i don't want to i, I want to be respectful of folks time and we're already over time so we will get into evaluation um and evidence-based practice in the next session we don't want to make we don't want to leave that out um we also will provide every um slide just so you are aware and you have them but essentially, um, with evidence-based practice, there are several, several, several websites from the federal government that help to support um, evidence-based research, but also defining evidence-based practices in the human services and in education. And we will talk about those in great length um, during the, the Bring Your Own Data 
workshop. So if you haven't signed up for that, I really encourage you to sign up for that. Um, we have a tremendous amount of information that we're going to provide for that in-person workshop, and it is hands-on, so you do bring your own data. Um, if you prefer not to bring your data or feel as though it's it's confidential and doesn't need to be shared, we can talk about the data that you have. And if you want to bring a ghost or a proxy data set with the type of data that you currently collect, we can show you some of the evaluation and potentially um, uh, uh, analytic procedures that you can use on a proxy data set as well. So before we go, oh, go ahead, Tracy. Yeah, I did just want to mention, like, it's not like you're sharing all your data with your biggest funder <laughs> in some cases for you. It's um, just to, this is just to help. We will only be using the data for the purposes of the training. So um, again, your data will not be held against you. Yes, <laughs> this is like a pressure free um, environment where we're just trying to help you enhance um, what you're collecting and how you analyze um, analyze it. So um, I just wanted to mention that. So the and yeah, so the session evaluation um, for this session is in the chat. And then again, the registration to the future trainings uh, are in there. We see another email from um, Barb that gives a little more detail to some of the trainings coming up to help you prioritize. But um, yeah, I just wanted to share that all with you now. Yep. Great. Thank you, Tracy. Are there any last comments, questions, concerns, anything else that you feel you want to see for future sessions? Any questions left unanswered? Okay, well, we will um, go ahead and close this out. We'll, we'll stop recording, but we'll stay on for the next, you know, 10 minutes or so. If, if folks are shy and want a, a smaller audience, we'll definitely do that. Or if you